0: we will be OAPs OAPs I know my memory's bad now But it's just gonna get worse somehow Let's face it, life is tough And when you're old and you've had enough You can just go to sleep Oh, I can't wait to be an know. A.P., I know, A.P., I know my memory's bad now, but it's just gonna get worse somehow, let's face it, life is tough, and when you're old and you've had enough, you can just go to sleep, oh I can't wait to be. competitions and
1: local news follow pure west radio on facebook pure west radio
2: i could be your lifelong lobster protect you from the storms i could be all you're after everything you want i want to be your lifelong lover i want to be your I want to share our time together I want to keep you warm But you Makes it easier to rest with ease when all I have memories. This is love. This is love. This is love. This is love. This says what well, this is love.
3: your latest premature news, I'm Jonathan Twigg. Magistrates courts can fine people up to £2,500 for littered offences, with fixed penalty notices ranging from £75 to £150, and under current law there is no formal way of appealing it with the local authority. Having launched on September the 7th in this county, figures have emerged that our county council issued 85 fixed penalty notices a total of £12,750 in fines if they hadn't been paid within 10 days, during to a 48-hour campaign on littering. There are some early signs of improvement in Welsh education this year, according to the Chief Inspector of Education and Training in his annual report, with two schools in the county, a School of Presley and Redhill Preparatory School, identified for approaching curriculum change in a positive and enthusiastic way offering enriching classroom experiences to challenge pupils and develop their skills. As teachers, the staff recognise that planning exciting opportunities, especially in real-life contexts, is the key to engaging pupils and helping them to become lifelong learners. At the other end of the spectrum for Penrish schools is the worry and identification that four of the schools require significant improvement. These include secondary schools at Greenhill and Tenby, and Milford Haven, alongside primary schools at Coastland and Saundersfoot. The latter's previous headteacher, Henning Leicester, having been found guilty by the Education Workforce Council of doctoring the school's test results to make the school look good before her retirement. Miss Lester acted with unacceptable professional misconduct, and current headteacher Nick Allen, in post since September 2015, following Miss Lester's retirement, was told by the County Council Education Department there was no need for an investigation as little would be gained. Miss Lester worked in an advisory capacity for the Council Education Department following her retirement and was suspended by the EWC for three years for their unacceptable professional conduct. Police are appealing for witnesses following a caravan fire in Fleet Street Penner, Pembroke Talk in the early hours of yesterday morning between 2am and 4am where it is believed no one was injured in the fire. Two males have been arrested on suspicion of arson and currently remain in police custody. The police are keen to speak to anyone who was in the area around the time of the incident or anyone who has witnessed anything suspicious in the area at the time or anyone who has information that will help the investigation and they are asked to contact the police on 101 or Crime Stoppers anonymously on 0800 Five. Travel 1. According to later statistics from Keep Wales Tidy, just 3.3% of our streets are litter-free and most local authorities now use fixed penalty notices if people drop litter, cigarette ends or fly-tip, where the notice must state the offence committed and should be issued on the spot. This is issued under the Environmental Protection Act 1990 and the Clean Neighbourhoods and Environment Act of 2005. If a person refuses to pay, they could be prosecuted and summons to the Magistrates Court. However, wardens are told not to issue notices for accidental littering, for example when an item falls out of someone's pocket. They are also told to give people a chance to pick up their litter before issuing a fine, and only dish it out when they refuse. In local sport, two Elliot Scotcher goals saw Haverford West County draw 2-2 with promotion rivals Cambrian and Cliddock last Saturday, leaving them two points adrift as leaders Pennebont who they host on February the 2nd at the Bridge Meadow a week before Welsh Premier side Ballatown travelled down on an FAW Welsh Cup tie for a place in the quarter-finals. In local football, a brace apiece from James Russell and Nico Morrison saw Moncton Swifts maintain the position at the top of the Pembrokeshire League Division 1 with a 6-3 victory over bottom side Hugh Branston who remained pointless after 11 games. Nathan Green scored a stunning header late in the game to secure a 2-2 draw for Merlinsbridge Bridge both remaining in the hunt for the title alongside Goodick United, who defeated Penner Robbins 4-0 at Phoenix Park. Haken United won the Milford Derby 2-0 at Marble Hall against Milford United, and Claverson Road striker Jason Griffiths netted twice in their 5-3 victory over Nayland. Pembroke County Hockey Club suffered a 6-2 reverse on their travels to Swansea last Saturday in the day Cymru League Division 1. Goals from Troy Purslow in the first half, and Martin Passmore early in the second half, saw the local side just 3-2 down before their hosts added three late goals. The side now welcoming promotion chasing Cardiff University C to Haverford West this Saturday. I'm Jonathan Twigg, and you're up to date with all your latest Pemmickshire news on Pure West Radio.
4: radio and welcome to the west files i can't believe it's nine o'clock already i know no wait it's not is it it's 10
5: past ah
4: somebody overran i wonder who
5: that was well it wasn't us no it wasn't us. happy
4: new year happy new year Year. and we're back and we've got a rampack 2019 for the west files have we yeah oh we've got a ghost hunt coming up in a few months time oh wow so if you're interested in hunting for ghosts stay tuned can i hunt yeah
5: good because i haven't been oh hang on tell you what we haven't done no we haven't we haven't we'll do it now Theme music people are strange when you're a stranger faces look ugly when you're alone women seem wicked
4: A, go on give us a give us a chorus of when you strain no go on no all right don't I we've won't. got a guest anyway tonight we, we have and this all came about uh, because when i when I first moved down here eleven years ago, I was having a look around on Google Earth like as did. you do, and I saw this giant hexagon I mean, it's, yeah six sides hexagon um and i I said what's that uh, to my wife to be hmm. So what's that in the field behind your parents' house? What thing behind? <laughs> the- <laughs> so I I discovered mm-hmm. that it was a giant bird's nest. Really? An alien base?
5: An alien base.
4: But our guest tonight is going to tell us the reality of it. Uh, yes. Welcome back to the West Files, Dr. Simon Hancock. So what is Thank this you. gigantic bird's, bird's nest. <laughs> nest stroke alien spacecraft? Thing in the fields behind Nayland well actually Steve um,
6: if you're on the road level it doesn't look like anything other than a large overgrown hedge no it's if I, you need to be above it you're exactly right because Google when it. I
4: arrived here the fir- one of the first things I did was get in the car and drive to see it because it looked so stunning when you look at it from above and I couldn't find it exactly <laughs>
6: But I suppose we're talking about Scoverson Fort tonight, or Fort Scoverson as it was called. Mm-hmm. First thing to say at the very outset is it's private property. It's a very, very dangerous place. So uh, I'd, I'd be happy to tell you about it, but please, I'm not trying to encourage anyone to go there. This is not an to go for urban exploring. Absolutely. No. It's private property yeah. and it's an incredibly dangerous place. So, you know, this is just for, that's the sort of health warning at the very outset.
5: Yeah. Don't try this at home, folks.
4: Absolutely. I suppose we better go right back to the start with the what actually is it and how long has it been there? Okay, well, to
6: talk about and Ford at the very beginning, we need to think about what was at Pembroke Dock. And of course, Pembroke Dock was the biggest military base in the whole of Wales. Mm. It was a royal dockyard which opened in 1814 and it was turning out ships until 19... Well, it closed in 1926. So what happened in the mid-Victorian period? Um, we've got a love-hate relationship with the French... You know, we were allies with them during the (laughs) Crimean War. (laughs) (laughs) And then we had this terrible fear in the mid Victorian period that somehow the French Emperor Napoleon III was going to invade Britain. And so Parliament undertook the most enormous public expenditure on forts and fortifications, popularly known as the Palmerston Forts, because obviously the Prime Minister at the time was, was Viscount Palmerston. So, Scoverson Fort is one of, I think it's 13 Palmerston Forts. The term is used loosely. Mm -hmm. It could sometimes refer to fortifications before Mm -hmm. Palmerston Forts. But between roughly 1850, 1870, you've got about 13 of these forts all over Pembrokeshire. Mainly in in the haven, Uh, you think like Stack Rock. You think of Thorn mm-hmm. Island, there's Chapel Bay, then if you go south to Tenby, you've got uh, St. Catherine's Island. So there's about 13 of these Palmerston forts, uh, Hubbardston Fort, for example. The only one that's inland is Scoverson Fort. And the reason why it was built where it is was to defend the northern flank. So that if there was an invading army mm-hmm. and they were coming from the north, ...to attack this very, very important dockyard, then there would be a a major fortification to protect the northern flank of the Royal Dockyard. And it's a very interesting site, because long before there was any fort, and they started building the fort in 1861. Because right. there was an act of parliament called the Defence of the Realm Act 1860, which gave the government powers to compulsory purchase all the land that it wanted to. All Obviously, the landowners were recompensed. And so the Defence of the Realm Act 1860 was the authorisation for all of the building of these forts. So we know that the work on Scorrison started in August 1861. We've got a precise date when they started. And actually, the site, long before the fort was built,
4: it was a very high... Point known as the beacon right because I I know I, as I said when I went out to drive to find it and I couldn't find it um, when I'm up uh, up on top of Hill Mountain for example and looking across to Scoverston you realize what a commanding view it actually has because between Scoverston and the defensible barracks in Pembroke um, Pembroke Dock the two of them seem to have quite a commanding uh, vantage point over the entire haven.
6: Well the reason why it was built is because it was such a naturally very high elevated mm-hmm. spot. I've been in uh, Scoverson Fort a few times. I think the last time was probably about ten, fourteen years ago. Under you know, with with um, qualified people, and it was you know a, a proper regulated visit. Mm-hmm. And you could actually see at a high point, you could see right down to sort of Saint Anne's. The I- idea was that you'd have sort of the 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 field of fire from all these mm-hmm. different forts would be like sort of over interlocking. Obviously, great thought was given to the mm-hmm. construction of the fort. And it is a very, very substantial military um, presence. It's, as you say, it's a hexagon. It's surrounded by a huge dry moat. And it was uh, constructed of limestone. And it would have taken, I think the cost of building the fort was something in the region of about £65,000, which was a huge amount of money mm. in the 1860s. Is the shape significant? Well, I mean, it's, it's hexagon, um, according to sort of basic military defensive mm-hmm. principles. They're so all different shapes. One thing you see about the Palmerston forts, they all seem to be slightly different shapes. There's no two are identical.
5: Right. Oh, right.
6: But the, the, um, the fort is amazing because obviously everything was imported. So all the materials, the limestone rubble was imported, and it was imported um, on Nayland Beach. I don't know if you know where Church Lakes is in Nayland. Yes, I do. There was a huge... Huge sort of um, uh, wooden structure so that the the limestone was imported. And if you know the area well, just above the beach at at Church Lakes in Ireland, you've got a lime kiln. And that lime kiln was used... I know it. Exactly. You know that lime kiln was built precisely and only for the building of the fort. So you could obviously burn limestone for the mortar
4: with the... I mean, we're not short of rock here, are we? Why did we need to import well, so much?
6: There's a lot of different kinds of um, material used mm-hmm. in the building of the fort. And uh, so it was, it was mainly imported through the haven. The limestone was um, then carted up to the fort. There was no road there before. The military road was built. I was going to say, that's a
4: big clue, isn't it? Ooh, it the, the military, military road, road. It was the called out, the military
6: it? road in 1864, and it's still there today. It's today. And if, absolutely. It links... Nayland to Scoverson Fort, and that was absolutely built only and specifically for the construction of the fort. I mean, building a fort is an enormously expensive but a highly dangerous occupation, and we know that there were many, many people injured and killed in the construction Mm -hmm. of that fort, because obviously when there were incidents like people being buried alive and goodness knows and tragedies like that, they invariably were mentioned in the newspapers.
5: Yeah. And that would be the same in any of the forts that had been rebuilt. Absolutely. There was a
6: human price to pay. There was a price of blood as well as treasure in the construction of all those forts.
5: Yeah. So blood, sweat and tears was literal in in that situation. Yeah. The
6: idea was that the fort then would be manned by a garrison of 132 people, but it would be equipped with really, really big guns. I mean, huge artillery pieces. But having built the fort, it was never equipped. The the artillery... The artillery... (coughs) Never appeared. Oh. The artillery never appeared.
5: Why?
6: I don't know, I suppose by sort of eighteen late eighteen sixties the French had been defeated by the Prussians in the Franco Prussian War. France's military prowess was reduced to a fraction of it was So suddenly suddenly (laughs) the French threat had gone. Had gone by eighteen seventy. Because France was in turmoil, the revolution and the emperor had been deposed and so forth. So they still used Scoverson Fort mainly for military exercises like summer manoeuvres for the uh, militia and the, and the local regiments. So it was still yes. used. Was it garrisoned all the time?
4: Um, I mean, well, I, presumably they didn't just lock the doors and go home on well, a Well, actually, on a, on a, m- sort of you evening. look through the census returns <laughs> and the Is only
6: it? person who seemed to <laughs> live in the fort was a, um, a pensioner from the Royal Artillery God. who was living in the fort with his family and his children. The children went to Waterston School. And so it was basically under a take a caretaker's key. Oh
7: right. So, so it was gosh.
6: so basically they did lock up. Yeah, they did they lock up. There was did lock yeah. up, but it was military property, it was government property, mm-hmm. had to be looked after, it had to be some sort of janitor um on the site. So Scoverson Fort was built at a huge public cost and it wasn't really Wow. Used for the purpose. For- fortunately, it wasn't used, it was never put to the test. We never had an invading army, so thankfully, none of the parmesan forts were
4: actually put to the. No, we didn't the need test. them, did we? Because no. the Welsh ladies saw off the last French invasion. It's <laughs> yeah, right. time for some music, I think. And let's yeah. see what the computer's going to choose for us now. It says that we've got to smile. Okay. <laughs> I haven't, but we... W- I'm lying.
5: You're lying <laughs> very badly though. <there. laughs> but we will be
4: in April. <laughs> yeah. Stay tuned.
5: Yes, yes.
4: And, but we have a guest and we're learning all about... Scobberston. Ford. Fort. Mm. So, uh, with Dr. Simon Hancock. Yes. You don't mind me prefixing it with Dr. Simon no, Hancock? No, just call me Simon, Be- please. No formalities. Know, but you no really standing you worked on ceremony. You work hard for a PhD.
6: Well, this is funny, right? Because <laughs> certain people sort of criticise or make this sort of innuendo from people with very little merit in their own lives about you know, the prefix of doctor. Well, actually, it took me 15 years exactly. of toil, blood, sweat and tears as I keep coming um,
5: out that phrase tonight, It's not it? It's not a
6: sort of, like, an honorary thing that's just given yeah. you somebody. You're Jeremy Clarkson. It <laughs> took me from, 15, took me from <coughs> the year 2000 to 2015. So, actually, my conscience is clear about using it, because it, it was actually my
4: own efforts and only my own you efforts. You worked hard for I empathise totally I because I am teetering on the brink of my own. I know, I know. Um, and to be honest with you, it could have been a bit sooner, but I'm sort of... <coughs>
5: I mean, I am going to have to curtsy
4: I'm you going I see just, you. I just, I don't. Doesn't wa- matter when you get it, as long as you get it. With me, it's kind of I don't really want to finish it <laughs> because there is still a load more questions I want to sort mm. out while I am doing it, and it's it's actually not a bad excuse to do it. Um, <laughs> but I empathise with the amount of work and effort that goes into a, it. It's a monumental huge, undertaking, huge, and I'd yeah, be proud. Be proud. Anyway, but tonight it's Scaverton
6: Ford. Yes. Yeah, it's an amazing. Um, uh, Structure, um, for, you know, I think it's over fifteen How acres. Big is it? Fifteen acres, I think, in wow. size. Um And it's got the most. It's it's because it's been sort of left, and it's now sort of completely overgrown. It's you can imagine the amount of biodiversity mm. and significant habitats and wildlife. It's 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 plastered with SSSIs and all sorts all forms of legal protection mm. for the fauna and flora and animals yeah. and birds. So it's in many ways, it's a perfect. Um, example of where sort of military human history coincides and interacts with with nature, with nature. Yeah. so but actually beneath all the all the sort of overgrowth and so forth you've got the casemates, you've got the sort of arsenal where the ammunition was kept victorian grills wonderful pieces of Victorian architecture just mm-hmm. left there and of course it's can Constructed of limestone and 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 granite, and all of the barracks, the casemates, everything is there. Mm. Everything is is still there, but obviously under um, under protection. protection and private. It's private yeah. property. So
5: it'll it'll never mm. be cleared, I suppose. Then no. for as a tourist attraction type thing, don't. <laughs> Toby's remote access. Oh, <laughs> I, I thought think. the ghost was playing with the I computer. I think, I'm hoping. Did the
6: ghost put an appearance in?
5: I, I, we don't know. <laughs> I don't know, I shall do a message. No, 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 we'll, we'll just leave it be. Sorry. Okay. Sir. Sorry, we'll just, Simon. No. We,
4: we keep a close eye on the ghost antics because uh, regular <laughs> the, listeners will know that our <laughs> computer is haunted. Yeah. On a Monday. And it uh, seems to be doing something weird at the moment, but it's not affecting what we're doing, no, so please hopefully. continue. Yes. Yeah. No, as I say... So
5: it'll never be used, uh, it never be cleared as a, as a tourist attraction. It's
6: been mentioned in the past, but I think sometimes things aren't meant to be, like, no. for tourist attractions and things, especially given how valuable this is for wildlife and nature.
5: Yeah, that's the side of it now it's become, hasn't it? I would argue that. I mean, I've spent time
4: in Portsmouth, around Portsmouth and Southampton, um, and they have a similar number of Palmerston Forts, some of them mm. um, are on the scale of Scoverston. Um And they've turned them into not just a tourist attraction but a resource, some of them are equestrian centres, there are several of them have got education centres. Are we just not being far-sighted enough with the use of these resources that we've been left from history? Well, I think in some ways we have
6: been. I mean, for example, I know Chapel Bay, Major mm-hmm. George Greer is uh, turning Chapel Bay uh, on the other side of the haven into a very important military uh, visitor attraction, mm-hmm. you know, and I know the Port of Milford have bought Hobson Fort. Recently, um, up until recently or last year, we had a use of the fort on St Catherine's Island. So, I wouldn't say that sort of nothing is going to be done with any of them. And of course, Thorn Island is a mm-hmm. is a is a home. Um, it's just I think because of the 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 really sort of significant concentration of nature and wildlife and and bat roosts and all that sort of thing. I just think making that into a sort of visitor attraction for people to have a day trip and so forth. Um, is perhaps more complicated than it would be with the other, okay. palmerston forts. It's only my personal view, oh. you know. Um, but I think looking at Scoverson fort, it's interesting to realise that it's you look at look at it in its wider context. You know, pembridge has always been seen as a backdoor for invas- invasions of the UK. So we might think, oh, you know, we you know, it's far fetched. Anyone would ever invade Pembrokeshire. Well. As you mentioned before, where was the last invasion of the UK? It was of in Of mainland Britain. Yeah. Carrigwasted, 22nd of February, yeah. 1797. Where did Henry Tudor land? In Pembrokeshire, yeah. Millbay, 7th of August, 1485. And he won the crown of England by marching through Wales, yeah. c- defeating Richard III on Bosworth Field. So, although we might think it's a bit fanciful, we're right on the far west, no one's really going to launch a successful invasion of, of Britain. It's happened twice. There's been two invasions before, one successful, one was a fiasco. And actually, it's that is a, per, a persistent worry for our ancestors about invasion. Mm. I was reading the other day about the the residents of, of Knowlton and Camrose. These strange ships were spotted in 1854. And what did they think? They thought it was... going Well, Russian. We'd just oh, gone Russia. to war with Tsarist Russia in the Crimea, and they thought it was in the newspapers. They saw these strange ships coming towards the Pemish coast, and our ancestors were convinced it was the Russians going to attack. And in the First World War, we thought the Germans were going
4: to attack. I Indeed, they weren't convinced. very far away, though, were they? Yeah, they I weren't. mean, the Bristol Channel is littered with U-boats. Well, there was certainly a very, wars. very sort of... Um, a
6: terrible U-boat war off the Pembrokeshire coast in St George's Channel and the Irish Sea from February 1915 right up until war's end. Mm -hmm. The last ship wasn't sunk until the 15th of October 1918. So actually these Palmerston forts fitted into a psyche of vulnerability and fear that our ancestors had. You know, and the the sort of erstwhile antagonists would always be different. They'd either be Russians or French or, or Germans, depending, you know, the sort of geopolitical mm-hmm. um, situation which prevailed. But so Scoverson really was, and the other Palmerston forts
4: met a need at that particular moment mm. in our nation's history. Does it? Uh, you said earlier that its position reflects its uh, its main tasking, which was to defend the back door. Yeah, the northern flank to protect the dockyard. The dockyard
6: was the greatest uh, military establishment in Wales. You know, during the First World War, for example, there was something like three to four thousand people working there, Mm -hmm. and you know, it was making U boat. It was making sort of uh, light cruisers. It was launching British submarines, and it was. I think the last ship launched it was 1922, an oiler called the Oleander. And of course, when it closed in 1926, there was an economic blizzard. The like, Pembrokeshire has never seen before one third of the population of Pembroke Dock and Nayland was out of work mm-hmm. that's why you have the Pembrokeshire I nickname it the Pembrokeshire Diaspora because thousands of Pembrokeshire people had to leave and go to the other dockyard towns mm. Chatham Rosyth Malta all over the British Empire and thousands of people left never to come back so there are Pembrokeshire people all over Britain who left in the 1920s when the dockyard closed and um
4: I mean, give, given that, they, that, was it Nelson who's, who described the Haven as the one of the greatest natural harbours in the world, that they chose to up sticks and go?
6: Well, you must remember that in the First World War, and I talk about Scoverson in the First World War, mm. which was really its the main, the main sort of era in which it came into its mm-hmm. own. During the First World War, the British national debt went up by a factor of 13 fold. So when the war ended in 1918, Um, there had to be massive public expenditure cuts, the Geddes Acts 1922. That's why they were looking at these small little dockyards which really weren't needed for national defence. So they closed Pembroke Dockyard in June 1926 and there was so much unemployment that eventually the government established the seaplane base Hmm. there, (gasps) mainly for political reasons in 1930. But during the First World War, in many ways, the history of Scoverson Fort comes into its own in the First World War. So did it not do
4: anything between... The Napoleonic or the end of the sort of eighteen seventies.
6: Well, one finds one finds various things. For example, nineteen (coughs) o four, it's being used as a as a storage for huge calibre artillery shells. A couple of years later, it was used, and it was suggested as a perfect location for an isolation hospital, and it would be. It would be. You know, obviously, you know, you'd convert yeah. it into a hospital. This is just an idea. Nothing ever happened. But when the First World War broke out in August 1914, I mentioned about the psychological aspect. Mm-hmm. We thought Pembrokeshire was going to be invaded. In mm-hmm. fact, the first thing the Lord Lieutenant of Pembrokeshire, Lord St David, says in 1914 was, everyone's sure Pembrokeshire's going to be attacked. But mm. well, I don't think I did much to steady people's nerves. No,
5: I wouldn't have done Especially
6: coming from the Lord Lieutenant. <laughs> yeah. So all these and faults are then occupied yeah is one huge armed camp 1915 there were more people there were more soldiers in Pemmackdok there were 10,000 soldiers in Pemmackdok versus 7,000 civilians so our ancestors saw khaki every single day of Mm. the whole of the first world war so 2,000 soldiers come discover some fort and the fort is not that big it had a, garr- it had a. remember the garrison was supposed to be 132 yeah, men said or yeah. 128 yeah, men so the vast majority of outside in tents and which wouldn't have been very nice in as with the onset of autumn and winter and so then they have a huge the local carpentry and constructors and builders would have had a field day mm. because there are hundreds of tents and barrack accommodation i've got photographs probably not taken officially of we from the uh, say where Waterston is, uh-huh. taken towards Scovison and you see the fort, and you've got literally hundreds
4: of barracks, wooden mm-hmm. barracks, temporary huts, all outside, and and indeed further afield because out um, in Hill Mountain, uh, we I found out quite recently looking through the World War One uh, history projects online, uh, Welsh, um, that w- that there was um, a training camp up on Hill Mountain. With Hearson Camp. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And Hirsten of course, the legacy, the legacy being Rose Market um, Community Hall.
6: Hearson mm-hmm. Camp. That was established at some at this very similar time. Yeah. And what these camps were basically, Scoverson, Hearson, and so forth, were they were training. So, yeah. raw, raw recru- recruits would come in, they'd get their, I don't know, was it six weeks training or whatever, and then they would be churned out. So, you've got newspaper accounts of soldiers marching down the military road to the railway station at Nayland, because of course we had a railway station mm. yeah. until 1964 and then they would be s- on their way to the theatres of campaigning whether it's the Western Front or whether it's fighting the Turks mm. in Palestine and sometimes you've when, they, when this first happened there was the uh, issue of novelty so the townsfolk would turn yeah. out in the hundreds and wave them off not long after, within a few weeks
5: the novelty wore off
6: they go, yeah. they watch down mm. from so the casualty and yeah. nobody yeah. sees them off and there's really a acerbic comments in the press saying basically these people are going to wherever they're going, say Egypt and no one's we waves them off. So they're churning out people mm. throughout the thing. Mainly the regiments and you get regiments from all over mm. the British Isles going to Scotland out, Fort. C-
4: certainly up by us up on um, Hill Mountain, uh, they dug a series of practice trenches, which is still evident in the landscape. Yeah, really? yeah. and the, As I said before, the legacy, the village halls of Burton and Rosemarket mm. are military huts, huttage yeah. from that time. Well, Hirsten Whis- uh, actually
6: had even more exotic people there. Mainly it was the 4th and 5th Welsh Regiment, because obviously the local territorial battalion, the one that most local men would join up, was the 4th Welsh. So that's the one that was based locally. Um, and then there was numerous, because the British Army went up to 5 million men, you had regiments of numerous battalions, okay? But the f- the Welsh regiments were mainly in Scoverson and all the other ones and Herson camp. But in 1918, if you'd been in... Say, where you're living now, mm-hmm. you'd see a thousand Portuguese wow. in their distinctive, different uniforms. The Portuguese joined the war as British allies in 1916, and a thousand Portuguese labourers went to Hearson Camp as labor co- a labour corps. And um, there's some wonderful accounts. They were arriving, they all had big, black, droopy moustaches. Yeah. <laughs> and for some reason, they all had around their necks brand new boots. Which they didn't want to wear out. So they had them round their necks. (laughs) And there's an account of them marching to Harford West a few miles down the road. And apparently they man, they come all the way from Portugal, they couldn't find their way back. They got lost. Marching from Harford West to Burton.
5: Oh no. It's only
6: one road. (laughs) Well (laughs) And the irony is that of course they got they found their way from Yeah. Portugal Portugal. all the way to to Pembrokeshire. But we had, I mean, Skovason was interesting because in 1918 you got the arrival of a Jewish labour battalion. And they are a labour corps. Not to fight, but to do hard, dangerous manual work. 1918, late late in the war, September 1918, Mm -hmm. one of the Jewish labour battalions. And these weren't British nationals, they were Jewish people from Latvia, Lithuania, part of the disintegrating Russian Empire, as it was then, and they come to Skoverson in 1918. And some of them stay, and some of them marry local girls. Mm. When I was a small child in the early 70s, I was born in 1965, 1971, 72, I would walk up on a walk with my grandmother, and I remember in a place called Water Street in Ireland, little row of cottages, Mm. and I can see this lady now, standing outside, hooped up, Probably late in the 70s, all stooped, old lady, you know, as we'd imagine a sort of thing. And my, ma- my grandmother would be saying to my, my brother and myself, oh, um, that lady, you know, making sure we behave ourselves, mm. um, that lady's a witch. Oh, <gasps> Really? <laughs> and she would say, "Igly igly og, I turn you into a frog. And of course, <laughs> when, you're, when you're six, you believe everything yeah. your grandmother tells you. Yeah. It was years later, I realised that woman's name was Maud Otto. And she married one of these Jewish Labour Battalion men in 1918, 1919. So, behind this military fort, mm-hmm. there are human stories. Of and course. for me, oh, the the thing about history that makes it really come alive isn't a succession of dates and battles and the lives of the, of the great and the good, it's making the past come alive through human stories every person who's lived is like has got our physiology our ambitions our dreams our successes our failures and that's what make history
4: come alive these human unexpected stories i'm Amazed at hearing so many, like the Portuguese mm, yeah, and Jewish... Uh, yeah, different
7: a nationalities work. come in. Yeah, I mean,
4: Pembrokeshire must have been an incredibly diverse place
7: Yeah,
4: at the end of the First World War, with it, all of these, this it was. Sort of imported population milling about. And, I mean, yeah, I mean, historically, we are Little England beyond Wales, and the Welsh were pushed to the north, and then uh, there was a large Flemish sort of legacy as well. But how did the local population deal with this mass influx of foreigners? Because, in a in a kind of way, it fits into the last sort of ten fifteen years of our own history, because we've had a large influx of people from Eastern Europe moving into our populations. We have supermarkets and stores, you know, that sell all of the goods for them. Uh, you know, the Polish foods on the on the supermarket shelves, and they're very nice, I have mm-hmm. to say. Uh, Pol- Polish ketchup is really nice. It's <laughs> I haven't tried that yet. Yeah, it's
6: really nice. I've not tried it. Yeah. But actually, you, you hit upon a really important thing, and that's one of the most fundamental experiences of Pembrokeshire, and indeed for Britain and the world, is the experience of migration. Now, there is nothing new under the sun, and you mentioned about the Flemish and the Norman arrival in Pembrokeshire in 1093. You think of all the Celtic tribes during the Roman, when the Romans yeah. came in the sort of reign of of Domitian and and so forth. So you know that's one of the things about human human experiences: the constant shifting of population. So in our time, the discourse has been controversial, but it's nothing new. In fact, it's one of those factors that's enriched our population over millennia. The the Anglo-Normans coming in 1093 with the Flemish allies: three pulses of Flemish migration which disple- dis, uh, displaced many of the native Welsh. But then you think about, I remember reading Tudor history, someone complaining to Cardinal Wolsey in the um, 1520s, 1530s, about Pembrokeshire's being invaded with 20,000 Irish rascals. So, you know, think <laughs> of the Irish migration. I mean, and then you talk about the First World War. Pembrokeshire was an incredibly cosmopolitan place in the First World War. I remember reading a case about somebody gone into a cafe in Fishguard. Just popped in Fishguard in in the First World War, and there were nine different nationalities, all having a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. Mm-hmm. I mean, people who who were lost at sea, their ships had been torpedoed, people of every race and nationality. They couldn't. They were in Pembrokeshire for the duration of the war. They couldn't get home mm. because of the war conditions. So Pembrokeshire's, and you got the 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 Belgian. Colony. Don't forget, in 1914, 1918, the biggest con- uh, concentration of Belgian refugees wasn't in Cardiff and Swansea, who had about 500 each. It was Milford Haven, where there was 1,500 Belgian refugees just a few miles down the road. One in seven of the population of Milford Haven was a refugee.
4: Do we see any of this in the present? Do we see any legacy of this in the families, in the names, in the people that live in the area now? Because there has to be if these must people be. were marrying into the yeah. local well, population yeah, there must be great grandparents yeah. who who have come from all across well I, i've got a
6: talk one of the talks i've got for my like uh, my um thesis is like the role of women in pembrokeshire during the first world war the role of uh, the belgian refugees in pembrokeshire during the first world war and i did actually try to find those families that are descended from the belgians very very poor response to the first world war except There was somebody called belgie davis a woman from milford who married a belgian and Mm. then hence she became belgie davis but there must be i mean a hundred belgians were born in milford during the first world war some died there were lots of marriages so there were obviously marriages between pembrokeshire women milford girls and and belgians and vice versa but it's been
4: very difficult to to track them down Is that because they're just so well integrated? Or well, after more the span of 100
6: years, you probably find that they will, you know...
4: I would have thought recently, because we've just gone through the 100th anniversary of the First World War in successive years uh, between 2014 to last year, 2018, yeah. and there's been a tremendous focus on that period in mm. our history that people may have been more forthcoming. Well, that is true. And particularly of in looking at their own history. There's a really interesting.
6: There's <coughs> a really interesting postscript because when the war ended in 1918, the Belgians wanted to go back home, and most of them did. Ninety-nine percent went back home, but of course, in 1940, May 1940, there was a second, even worse, invasion from Germany, the Nazis, and of course, Belgians, many Belgians managed to get away, especially fishermen and trawlers. How 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 strange it is! One of the ironies of history that 1940, many of the Belgians are coming back. After leaving? To the place of their birth. Gosh. Some of them were born in Pembrokeshire in 1914, 1918. Yeah. They leave, they go back home in 1919, and then of course they come back in 1940. It just shows you how sort of... and So it just shows you the sort of... The contingency and the, the strange coincidences mm. one finds in history.
5: Yeah.
6: But of course, perhaps, let's not forget the most fundamental story of all is... In the 11th century, in the 12th century, 1110, 1120s, 1150s, you've got people coming from modern-day Belgium,
7: mm-hmm.
6: Flanders, coming to Pembrokeshire. So when the first Belgians arrived in 1914, they were greeted by a local clergyman who had a good knowledge of history, and he said to these Belgian refugees in 1914, welcome back. Because oh. their ancestors had come here in the 12th century. And we see
4: a legacy of that, don't we? Isn't there a, a particular design of chimney that's prevalent in this? Mm, yeah. Rare, they're, well, they're still to be seen in Pembrokeshire.
6: There's places in Pembrokeshire called Fcastle, Castle Flemish. There's uh, Flemington. Haverford mm. was founded by Tancard, this Flemish chieftain. There's Wizo mm. Flandrensis, founded Wiston, Letard founded Letterston, So the Flemish have left their legacy... All over Pembrokeshire. But the Flemish chimney mm. is a misnomer. Oh, oh
4: because I remember... nothing to do with oh. the Flem- Flemish at all. Nothing whatever ever well, do with the Flemish. the first thing I read about yeah. Pembrokeshire when no. I came here was the architecture of these oh, the sp- yeah. particular chimneys. We reckon we know where that misnomer
6: comes from. And that comes from Charles Norris, who was the very noted Tenby um, mm. artist. Mm-hmm. And he did a <coughs> book of, of uh, 1812. He did etchings of Tenby. These great big 40... Um, engravings of tenby Mm -hmm. and i think he went on a holiday up to cumberland and he saw a chimney very much like the similar to the ones he has in pembrokeshire and that was built by a man called michael le fleming and i think Uh, it's 1812 we first have the the association between those flemish chimneys with that particular style but apparently you don't find them in flanders Good
3: gosh. Do you know every So time unfortunately yeah. there's
4: there's a there's one on the side of the road on Pembroke Road, you drive
6: few, out you yes. go to St. Florence, you go to And you Héroe. drive past it and I always say, Oh,
4: that's one of those Flemish
5: <laughs> Not anymore you can't say. You've got that.
6: them up in Trossen in St. David's, you've got them in Marlow's Phil Beach. There's very, very it's Doesn't a very it
4: show weakness in history though, the way that an idea will sink into being and then just be copied and repeated by but everybody. What is what is different about that? For example, um burning the cakes,
6: was it Alfred burning mm-hmm. the yeah, cakes, yeah, Robert the yeah. Bruce with the spider, yeah. um, you've got Drake playing bowls. You know, Drake playing bowls, 1588, that's not mentioned anywhere until 1615. No, but I mean,
4: aren't they also apocryphal?
6: They are. They, but they, the, the Flemish chimney is hardly an apocryphal title. <laughs> <they, coughs> many of the best known <clears throat> things in history are either for, a, 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 they carry a wider purpose, mm-hmm. like a, a homespun wisdom, or they are... They just, Misnomers, they, they mm. just the mistakes. Yeah, and it, the irony is that they're the most often associated stories of history are actually not true.
4: Do you know, it, it's actually something I can relate to directly, although the West Files isn't mentioning ghosts, <laughs> no. mm, but in my line of parapsychology, an idea that seems plausible will often... Mm, it will resonate around the community, yeah. the ghost hunting yeah. community, because it seems plausible. And then everybody will take the idea... And it's become the Flemish chimney. These ideas become the Flemish chimneys. Yeah. They become an accepted fact. I accepted it as a fact. Yeah. And I've read several books that talk yeah. about this this unique architectural thing that you will find in Ooh. West Wales. Well, we're pretty sure it's Charles Norris from 1812 who... Um, the rogue.
5: Yeah, <laughs> no. That spoilt your fun. I but did. isn't it that a bit like old wives' tales that get handed <coughs> down over the years? That, that they, contain happen- certain, yeah. they contain certain... They contain essential truths. truths and
6: they're... To demonstrate some sort of encourage some sort of virtue or
4: some sort of like the, like Robert the Bruce and the Spider the value of perseverance yeah. and yeah. never giving in. I think it also highlights in the case of the Flemish chimneys and some of the things aspects of parapsychology the laziness of modern of research. Because a lot no, of people, true. Mm. people just uh, are happy to accept a secondary yeah. source and repeat it. There is nothing virtuous or
6: of, of any value in just repeating parrot fashion, passing off something
4: that has already been written mm. by somebody mm. else. You know, I don't see any point in doing it. No, I mean, in my line of research, I will always try f- to find the original source, something new, fresh. And I've mm. got to admit, I mean, I'm not. The Vital. People, yeah, I'm not the world's biggest fan of architecture, but I, you know, I recognise these chimneys. And I've, I've, I have a, a kind of a fascination with history. It comes with the territory. Um, and I, I... Oh, look, you know, you, you read these books wow. about the local landscape... Yeah. and about the local history and the distinctive feature I've always read about are oh, the Flemish chimneys.
5: Yeah, and now you know they're not And now I know real. that.
4: They're, they're
6: and fake. I know the Palmerston <laughs> Forts aren't unique to Pembrokeshire, because obviously no, I mean, we've got I've, them I've everywhere. But, them but you know there is a. You <clears> look at the the subsequent history of all those buildings. I mean, Scoverson Fort was the last regiment ever to be there was the King's Own Yorkshire Infantry. They left in 1920, and then, as you said, uh, an extra an extra asset to the sort of life of the fort. All of the huts were sold off. Yeah. So for example, you mentioned Burton and Rose Martin About and they Burt got Charles. the community hall. Well, Nayland had its hall. In fact there's a, there's a pub in Nayland today called the Legion or the Legionnaire. And that's that originated. It was the Sergeant's Mess from the French. No, no, no. The British Legion Hall, the club, or the Legion as it's known, the Legionnaire. That was the sergeant's mess from Scoverson Fort. There was a massive auction of stuff. The disposal oh, board yeah. of the war Office were selling everything under you could imagine. You could have bought a sentry box from Scoverson Fort. You could have bought anything. So they sold all the huts. So for example, it became the sergeant the sergeant's mess in Scoverson became the first clubhouse for the British Legion in Island. Others had Community halls, another mm. one, it was the woodwork room for the Half West Boys Grammar School. They had another lease of life. And there's as a fair few farm, <laughs> farm outbuildings <laughs> as well. And actually, you talk about depreciation. Scoverson Fort cost 68 grand to build. When it was sold in 1932, when Britain was at the height of its depression, all of the Scoverson, all of the farms uh, and forts around Bamfordshire were auctioned by the government. And Scoverson Fort was sold for £1,300. Blah.
4: Bargain. Well we we're going to have a bit more music head through the news and discover what happened to uh, Scoveston after World War. Yeah,
5: yeah. I'm we're, fascinated with our
4: guest Simon Hancock. Yes. <laughs>
1: From Pembrokeshire, 24 hours a day. Pure West Radio. From St. David to St. Florence. For Pembrokeshire, from Pembrokeshire, this is Pure West Radio.
3: With your latest television news, I'm Jonathan Twig. Police are appealing for witnesses following the caravan fire in Fleet Street Penner, Pembroke Dock, in the early hours of yesterday morning between 2am and 4am, where it is believed no one was injured in the fire. Two males have been arrested on suspicion of arson.